We're happy to have this episode sponsored by Real Mushrooms. You probably already know about some of the great benefits of adding mushrooms to your diet, like better sleep, greater mental clarity, and a stronger immune system, but not all mushroom products are equal. Real Mushrooms is the real deal. Many mushroom companies harvest the mushroom and the grain it's growing on. Real Mushrooms products contain no grains or starch fillers. They're organic, cultivated naturally, and third-party verified for beta-glucans, the compound that makes them so valuable as a supplement. They even have a science and medical team of doctors who ensure that Real Mushrooms meets the highest standards. What I personally love is how informative their website is. Have questions about what mushroom is right for you? They have a robust blog with articles ranging from women's health to what mushrooms are most beneficial to your pet. Want to boost your immune system? Have better sleep and feel more calm? Grab the link in the show notes and get 25% off of your first order. Curiously enough, acupuncture is not just sticking needles into people. It's part of a coherent and observation-based medicine that experienced practitioners of the art have handed down over the centuries. I'm Michael Max, your host and guide of Everyday Acupuncture. Listen in as we explore how you can apply the principles of this ancient medicine in your everyday life. Hey everybody, welcome to the show. Today, my guest is Holly Griggs-Spall, and she is a writer, a filmmaker, and a bit of a rabble-rouser in general. She's taken a deep look into the cultural, physiological, emotional, and economic aspects of hormonal birth control, which we usually simply refer to as the pill. I was first introduced to Holly's work by Keith Bell. He's the guest that was on Everyday Acupuncture Show number 27, and I read her book, Sweetening the Pill, in preparation for that interview. So I am particularly delighted to have Holly on the show today so we can go deeper into her work on the profound ways that hormonal birth control can influence everything from the people you're attracted to to long-term effects on women's health to societal expectations and to take a look at alternatives for pregnancy prevention and reproductive health. Holly, welcome to Everyday Acupuncture. Hi, thank you for having me. You, um, you've written a book, you've done a film, you're actually in the middle of a Kickstarter campaign, and we're going to get into all that here in a bit. Your book is quite interesting. It's, it's on hormonal birth control, and I'm curious to know how you got interested in this subject and what took you to writing this book. Well, it's kind of funny um, because I was a film journalist for a very long time out of college, in college. I just wanted to write about film, do film reviews, interviews. Um, But I was taking the pill and I was on the pill for about 10 years from when I was 17. And I took one brand of pill called Yasmin or also known as Yaz, which was really very, very popular at the time, very heavily advertised in the US. Um, Pretty much everybody I knew was on it. And, you know, I took it and was told it was going to be the best pill I'd ever tried. And I was on it for about two and a half years. And I had very bad side effects in comparison to the other pills I'd taken. And they were very insidious side effects. You know, they had a, they built up over those two and a half years. Um, and I really didn't realize that was happening to me. Um, I just kind of thought that 
you know, it was my life at the time or, you know, the stress of the job I was doing and all my relationship and when actually everything that was going on was, I should have been really happy about because I, I was in a really great position at the time. But um, that's, so I, I went through that experience and eventually I did figure it out. I figured it out through online uh, women's health forums about Yas and Yasmin. And I got really into finding out why Yas and Yasmin were really problematic for so many women and why we were all having these um, especially psychological side effects. What kind of effects were you experiencing? At first, I can actually, I used to keep a diary because I was traveling a lot at the time when I first went on it. And I can, if I look back now, I can see that I, it immediately had a very um, depressive effect on me. Um, I felt very low and I felt very detached as well. And that was really troubling to me at the time. I see from where, where I've written in my diary, you know, I don't really know why that's happening. And then as time went on, it was almost like having one week of really, really awful PMS where I was just really down and anxious and socially anxious, very paranoid, um, had this sort of low level of dread, feeling like something really terrible was going to happen to me or my boyfriend or my loved ones. Um, I was almost kind of a little bit agoraphobic, um, just really uncomfortable. Um, and also I would, when I would get upset and kind of get into a spiral of being kind of triggered off by this anxiety and depression, I wouldn't mm -hmm. be able to get myself out of it. I'm curious, and this just comes from seeing patients in my clinic. So you started having these periods of anxiety and, and uh, you know, kind of paranoia. Were you having anything like that prior to getting on this pill? Um, no, I'd been on four or five different pills previous to Yasmin. And at different times, I'd swapped because of side effects, but they weren't psychological side effects. They were mm. always physical issues. Um, I, looking back now, I can see that um, there were times when I reacted and behaved in ways that were just kind of a little odd. Um, when I first went to college, um, for example, I couldn't handle it. I'd been so excited to go to this one college for two or three years. And when I got there, I just wasn't able to handle being there on my own. And I actually had to leave college and go to my home college, my home county college. Um, so, you know, completely changed the course of my life. And I swapped that pill and I ended up traveling for a year to go to a US college and I was fine on the other side of the world. It was, you know, it's very difficult with the pill for women because everybody and yourself especially can say, well, it's this or that. You know, it right. was anything other than the pill. But with Yasmin, it was so, with Yasmin, it was so stark and so different. And I was so out of control of my feelings and responses and reactions that, um, you know, now when I get down or anxious, as sure. of course I do, I'm a human being, I, it's, it feels very, very different than it did when I was on Yasmin. And, you know, one of the things that keyed me into the fact that it was Yasmin doing this was that other women had eerily similar experiences to me. Um, it wasn't just women going, oh, I feel depressed. It was women having the same thoughts, the same worries, the same anxieties, the same kind of fights with people, the same kind of feelings when they were in the depths of it. And, um, yeah, that's really what keyed me into the fact that it was Yasmin. I came off Yasmin and swapped to another brand called Femidet 
And I felt better. I didn't feel as bad at all. But um, by that point, I was kind of sick of it. Um, and I'd, I went through a realization that I just wanted to come off completely. And that was after 10 years of taking it. But that was a struggle. Well, now, okay, so I'm a man. And, and so, of course, I don't have much experience with, well, I don't have any experience with birth control. And I certainly don't have any experience with sort of societal expectations around it. You mentioned that it was hard to come off of the pill. I'm, that makes me curious to know what makes it what makes it so hard to come off of a birth control pill. I mean, other obviously than you're concerned with using it for, um, you know, preventing pregnancy. What are the other issues? Well, you know, when you're put on it as a teenager and you're not even having sex as I was, it was more of like a precautionary thing. At the same time, you might be having, as I was, um, pretty difficult periods, pain, um, heaviness. That really meant one day out of a month I was kind of in bed, really. I, or I'd go to school and have to go to the sick bay. So, you know, when you're on something like that and you come to think of it as a medication that you need, not just to prevent pregnancy, although that's a big part of it, but also because you believe that your periods are, were and are and always will be without the pill, um, just something you can't handle, then, you know, you do get to a point where, first of all, you think, well, what am I going to do to to stop myself having an unwanted pregnancy when this is all I've known. And for me, it was a somewhat special situation because I always used condoms as well. I never really trusted the pill fully in that way um, because obviously when I started taking it, I wasn't having sex, so I didn't really make that kind of connection, I think, and I never really felt about the pill. So you were put on the pill to regulate your period? Um. Mm, not really. Um, I don't think that was the discussion that was had. I had two older sisters. So my mum was like, well, everybody has to go on the pill. That's, you know, because she didn't want us to get pregnant. So it wasn't really about that, although that was a side effect. It did stop my heavy periods. And, you know, I, didn't, I don't believe it completely stopped the cramps, but I didn't have heavy periods. Yeah. So for me, it kind of that's, that's where it came from is that I was thinking that if I came off, I didn't know what I was going to go back to. I didn't know what my body was going to be like. I didn't know what it felt like to not be on the pill. I also, you know, you're worried if the pill can make you feel as I discovered it made me feel. I was like, well, what if I come off and I, something really severe happens to me psychologically then as well? You know, it's a mix of things. And also, of course, you know, we have absolutely no surrounding support for women who don't want to use hormonal contraceptives, um, there's no support to transition off them. Um, we don't really talk about non-hormonal options apart from condoms, and we believe that condoms aren't as effective. Um, and then, you know, think that that's your choice. Your choice is either to stay on it or to come off and get pregnant. And so, you know, it's, it's a whole mix of things. But a big part of it is that, you know, aside from your friends who may have gone through the same thing as, as you, which some of mine did, you don't really have anybody saying that this is a this is a plausible scenario for you that you can come off and you'll be okay or better. And you're probably not going to hear from a doctor that you should come off of the pill. Not when you're in your early twenties or like or even any time in your twenties. I mean, I when I went back to the doctor with because of Yasmin, I you know she admitted to me and I have this in my book that she herself had felt much more depressed when using the pill 
Um, but she still said to me, you know, like a good doctor in a way, what do you want to do about it? And I said, well, I guess I'll take a different kind of pill. And so she gave me a different kind of pill. She didn't say, well, you know, let's fit you for a diaphragm or let's talk about you learning about your fertility cycles or if you're using condoms, why don't we help you find a spermicide you like and that will make it more effective. She just said, go on another pill. Um, and, you know, once you get into your 30s, doctors are more likely to think, oh, she's probably thinking she wants to have a baby soon. But when you're in your 20s, that's not really the message. The message is, well, if you come off, you will get pregnant. You'll be seen as irresponsible, which I think a lot of women really struggle with. You know, we, we are given the, the large part of the responsibility for preventing pregnancy, even though we are, in comparison, not fertile every day like men. Um, and so we feel irresponsible. You know, that's a really poignant thing that you just said. I hadn't even thought about it until you said it. Women are fertile a few days out of the month. Men are fertile all the time. I mean, if we're fertile, right? There, I mean, there are men that have issues with that. But yeah, and yet here it is, women who are uh, on the hook for it for the most part. Yeah, I think, you know, that's that's a big problem because if you use condoms with uh, additional spermicide, separate spermicides, actually very, very effective method. Um, and it's even more effective if you happen to um, have the knowledge of um, knowing, you know, knowing when you're fertile and when you're not fertile. But, you know, the thing is, is we're actually in a situation now with condoms where we don't, men and women say they don't like to use them, that they are denigrated in terms of being effective at preventing pregnancy. We don't talk about STDs enough. And so, yeah, they're not really, they're kind of maligned. I'm a bit of a condom championer, <laughs> if that's a word. Um, you know, I, I always have people come up to me at parties and go, well, I don't, I don't know. You know, I don't like condoms. What do you use? And I always tell them to go and buy Japanese condoms from Japanese brands where it's a country where most people use condoms. Very, very few women use the pill. And they put a lot more time, money, effort um, into the development of their condom brand. Better quality product, huh? Is if you So it sounds like you're pretty keen on alternative methods of preventing pregnancy. Could you go over some of those with us for our listeners? Um yeah, I mean this is one of the big things that the the film is going to be about actually. I mean, as you said, we're in the final days of the Kickstarter campaign and if people go to the Kickstarter page sweetening the pill and watch the video, you'll see that, you know, it's not all doom and gloom because it's not fair to say to women, these things might be bad for your health and doing this, that and the other to you if you don't talk about alternatives. And one of the really exciting things this film wants to talk about is how the technology industry is stepping up where the pharmaceutical industry has not. Um, the pharmaceutical industry has tried to go about making more, mostly making more hormonal types of methods um, but the technology industry is actually seeing that more women are interested in learning about their bodies, learning about their fertility cycles, learning about when they're fertile and when they're not. Basically, using the knowledge that women are given when they want to get pregnant to not get pregnant, really. And they're doing that by developing apps and uh, wireless technology so that it makes it more integrated into women's lives and just more effective, too. So it's really great. That's that's great. And we're going to talk more about your Kickstarter campaign in just a little bit here because I, I really want folks to know about that. 
you mentioned that technology is stepping up and it sounds like technology is stepping up in such a way that women can be more in touch with the natural rhythms of their body and of their fertility that, that really women have been in touch with for you know centuries. I remember growing up and that was, and when I was growing up, that was called the rhythm method. And it was really given a thumbs down at that time as being completely unreliable and, and, and really kind of superstitious in a sense. Superstitious in what way? Superstitious in that we've got this, tech, this pharmaceutical technology that just gets it done, so to speak, in terms of birth control. And if you rely on your own body, uh-huh. well, that's not reliable, yeah, sure. You know, it's funny because last year there was an article in The Guardian that called it birth control voodoo. Exactly. My point exactly. Yes. Voodoo. Yeah. Um, which, is, it's, which is hilarious, of course, because uh, we treat pharmaceuticals like they're magic. Um, and we act like, you know, the, they can solve all our problems and, you know, the, the, every solution is, a, is a, in a pill or a device, you know, especially with the devices. You know, we're so technocentric these days that sometimes we just think, well, we'll put something in our bodies and it will do it for us and that will be that. And we don't have to think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we do, we kind of revere it almost uh, religiously, I think, um, the pharmaceutical industry. And I write a little bit about this in my book in relation to, uh, actually in relation to a Damien Hurst art exhibition where he talks about um, how people revere pharmaceuticals. We didn't talk about it, but he presents the idea that, that people revere pharmaceuticals because of fear of death, of course. But, yeah, it's it's interesting because it's not voodoo. Um, it's, you know, women have known about this for a long time. There's a great book, actually, called Sex, Herbs and Birth Control by Anne Hibler-Koblitz, which is actually about how this knowledge, this kind of body literacy, fertility awareness knowledge, has been deliberately suppressed in a way, um, you know, over the years for one reason or another, so that women don't know, you know, that women like me will come off the pill and think, oh, I'm, I'm fertile every day. You know, I could get pregnant every day and not realize that that's not true and, and that you thought that and that's one of the reasons you feared your body and that's one of the reasons you've stayed on the pill and it's one of the reasons you're so scared all the time. Um, and then when you come off and, you know, for me, I came off and learning about fertility awareness, the, just the very, very basics was really, really helpful to me and it gave me a lot of confidence and it felt very empowering to know about my body and about the fact that sometimes I'm not able to get pregnant and uh, it's a lot, you know, it's a large part of my cycle and the signs of ovulation and things like that and that was very helpful to me but science-based as well, that's the thing. It's been efficacy studies, um, it's about tracking your body's fertile signs you know, it's kind of common sense, you know, in a way too. Women ovulate, they are fertile, how long sperm lives for, all these things are like things we should be taught in school and some of us are, and you know, but they're taught in a very different context. Yes. Well, I see this a lot in my clinical work. I, I see a fair amount of women uh, because of fertility issues. And so we will talk about that or, or quite often they're already up to speed on it because Mm. they're really looking to hone in that time that they're fertile so that they can make the most of it. I had one of my patients the other day 
because of some issues, there was an agreement, it's best not to get pregnant for a few months, right? Let's get your body really ready before, before you get pregnant this time. And yeah. because she was already up on fertility and knowing when she was fertile, She's like, oh, yeah, this is no problem. I'll take, the, I'll take the process that I've been doing to try to get pregnant and just turn it upside down. And that'll keep me from getting pregnant until I'm ready to do so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, in terms of, of women doing that, you know, there's always been quite a lot of support online for women who want to figure out when they're ovulating, use ovulation um, strips, uh, uh, support each other in trying to get pregnant. Um, that's actually got a longer history um, in terms of support and also, as you say, uh, medical industry support. Um, you know, to one level or another, most women, if they go to their doctor, they'll they'll give them some amount of information on that and some advice. But yeah, of course, if you turn it back to front, then you get to to avoid being pregnant and um, you know these actually technology companies I was mentioning you know a lot of them started out realizing that they could help women get pregnant and they could really um, help women gather and track and interpret the information that would help them do that and also give them a support network and then they realized oh no there's people who want to do this to not get pregnant and um, you know it's really kind of part of the um, quantified self movement um, yes really and it's you know we had recently I think it was last month no maybe this month you know the Apple health kit app in the uh, new Apple iOS system for iPhones Um, originally it didn't include menstrual cycle information so then they they announced this month that um, at some big conference that they were going to include it and uh, they they realized that there were 50% of the population had this crucial information that was really useful for them to know about um, and not really and you know I think it was also a bit of an acknowledgement as well that it's not just about knowing when your period is going to turn up so you know it's it's also about your health, and I and I really like that because it's really becoming part of that more that wider kind of self monitoring idea of like being a participant in your health, um, you know, working with your health practitioner, um, and not just having your health practitioner say this is what is the best treatment that for for me in the sense that I am solving your problem in the quickest and easiest way. It's more about saying well what works for you, these are the things that you can do when you go home for long-term treatment to even, you know, cure and get rid of this problem and not cause a whole bunch of other problems. You know, we have a huge, huge amount of people getting sick um, from pharmaceutical treatments in the U.S. especially. So, yeah, I think it's it's really a part of a a wider movement as well. Well, and very, like you were saying, it's very empowering and when you know more about what makes you tick, you probably need less medication because you've got a sense of what helps you and what doesn't help you. It sounds to me like the diaries that you were keeping some time ago really helped you to clue yourself into how the birth control you were taking at the time fundamentally was affecting you on an emotional level that completely colored and changed your life at that time. Yeah, and you know, I think diaries is it's really interesting because you will hit, get doctors, um, health practitioners who will say, "Well, keep a diary when you're using the pill, so you can figure out 
what's going on, whether you are having side effects. And you also find people who say, keep a diary when you're not on the pill. So you can know, especially like when you're having PMS. So you aren't surprised every single month when you have PMS symptoms. Because there's studies that show that if if you're just more aware of the fact that you might be having PMS symptoms, you're going to have less symptoms. So, you know, there's a lot of help in that. And I think also, you know, from your point, from, from where you're coming from and, and, and your work, you know, with these, this new technology is really great in terms of the fact that you can ask people to go away and do this. And then they can see like, oh, well, when I ate a bunch of dairy, this is what happened to my body. Yes. Or when I had too much coffee that week, this is what happened to my body. And you have it all there on your phone, perfectly laid out really easy to use, really quick to use, and easy to share and show people too. And then, you know, if you think about that on an individual level when someone's in the office talking to a health practitioner, that's really great. But then on an even wider level, can you imagine in the end what we can learn from the amassed information that we will have from women doing this um, and the potential for kind of using that data and interpreting that data in a way that's helpful? Crowdsource it. Yep. Have you got any apps that you would recommend that our listeners might want to check out? Yeah. um, One of the companies we're working with on the Kickstarter is Kindara, um, and they are great. Um, They have a a very comprehensive app with um, actual access to experts as well. Um, They even have a community so you can talk to other women about tracking your cycles and they are launching later this year a wireless bluetooth thermometer so that when you take your temperature in the morning um, you don't have to fumble around remembering the numbers putting it into your phone you know none of that stuff it just syncs and appears on your phone for you to use later which is really cool and there's a lot of people doing that like the company overtemp um, overtemp is doing that as well um, they have Overtemp app and the Ondo thermometer. So, yes, it's it's really exciting time. Yeah. I'll be sure to get that information out onto the show notes page so that our listeners can check it out. It's, it's very exciting to hear about technology being used to help us better understand our own personal biology and our own personal experience. Yeah, it is. Because, you know, the opposite end of this is the technology, as I was saying before, that we're which is actually being pushed more, you know, by by ACOG and kind of the official bodies um, where, you know, you're they're saying, well, wouldn't it be great to have a, something that you can put inside a woman that will be remote controlled and release synthetic hormones on demand um, and be able to stay in her body forever? And it's like, well, that's, that's another side of it. This is another side. It, yeah. So tell us a bit about your Kickstarter campaign. It's going on right now. And I guess just for a couple more days, mm-hmm. uh, tell us what it's about. What do you what do you got going on here? Basically, I wrote this book, Sweetening the Pill, and I sent the manuscript to Abby Epstein, who's the director that works with Ricky Lake, the who's the executive producer. Now they made Business of Being Born previously, um, which is all about the industry around birth um, and what causes the U.S. to have such a phenomenally high maternal death rate for a developed country. And I wrote about that documentary in my book um, because I watched it when I was writing the book and I realized there were a lot of parallels between the birth industry and the birth control industry. 
And I wrote to them and I sent my manuscript and eventually I sent my published book and I met up with them and I kind of pitched the idea to them that they really needed to make their next documentary about this, this, the birth control industry and about, you know, what it means for women, you know, that we are reliant on that industry to such an extent. And they, you know, obviously both of them had, as many women do, their own personal experiences um, with these drugs and also you know they just could see it was really a very natural progression um, I like to call it business of being born the prequel <laughs> and um, it's it, it's um, you know they spent a good year going around looking for money for this to make this movie and it's but it's not a corporate friendly movie one of the biggest industries for advertising money I think the biggest is the pharmaceutical industry oh yes and you're going after some of their top-selling drugs that they're selling to people who majority are well, 50% of the population, taking them day in, day out for decades. This is a huge money-spinning thing here. And so, you know, it's very, very hard to get traditional kind of people that you would normally get on board to help make a movie like a documentary like this. Because they're probably not going to sell much product that way. No. And, you know, some of them were even saying this is like the food ink of birth control, you know, no bones about it. You know, they think this is a really important movie, but it's one thing to say it's a really important movie. It's another thing to actually put your money where your mouth is and and get behind it at this stage. It's such a politicized subject in the U.S. as well. And so that meant that um, we decided that it was going to be best to make it a grassroots effort. And, you know, the book has been very popular it's gathered a lot of supporters there's a lot of women out there who've been through things that I've been through or they know someone who has and so we thought well we'll take it to Kickstarter not only will we raise the money to start filming but we will also show that this is important needs to be done um, which is why you know we have our goal obviously of what money we need to raise otherwise you know if we don't raise that financial goal we don't get anything that's how kickstarter works and the film just Mm -hmm. won't get made so it's an all or nothing thing with kickstarter it's all or nothing and yeah if we don't get the money there are no other avenues to make a film like this and to be honest nobody else is going to make a film like this this is it this is not going to happen otherwise and you know we have this unofficial goal that we'd love to get like two thousand backers on this project so that means like we're saying give a dollar like give $2, $2, give $5, like, don't go crazy, feel like you have to go crazy, just give a little bit of money, put your number up there, make your vote, like, put your hand up in the air and say, yeah, this is important, this needs to be done. And, you know, we've got till Friday to do that. So, you know, we've got four days. And <laughs> if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. And that I think a lot of people would benefit from this film. A lot of women will benefit from it. And, you know, my book was a very small book in a way, small publisher. Um, and this documentary could be like the business of being born for this for this area and, and really make a huge difference in, in how we talk about contraception and how we talk about women's bodies and women's health and reproductive health and really just make a ch- make a change in people's everyday lives in a way, you know, because a lot of people spend much, much more time trying to not get pregnant. Yes. Well, your book was really eye-opening for me. And I'm a healthcare professional. And 
pride myself on being able to ask some pretty good questions around women's health because Chinese medicine has, I mean, baked into it is a deep respect for uh, women's health and a lot of methods for helping with fertility, with helping with periods that are not regulated, PMS. I mean, so many things that women are put on the pill for. We can take care of this with Chinese yeah. medicine. So I, mm -hmm. I've kind of figured, yeah, I kind of, I kind of have it dialed in a little bit when it comes to talking to women about their reproduction. I read your book, and, and especially in looking at some of the cultural aspects of how the pill has come into our lives and looking at some of the insidious emotional ways that that women kind of they go off track in a sense they kind of lose a sense of themselves due to this hormonal birth control and i had no idea since reading your book i've been starting to ask some more intelligent questions and women's eyes light up and there's all kinds of conversations that are happening in my clinic now that didn't happen because I know some new questions to ask, and they really hit home. So your book is phenomenal. I, I recommend it to any healthcare practitioner just because of the perspective that they would gain that, that you're usually not going to hear about. Hope you're enjoying the show. I'd love to know about what topics are of interest to you. If you have a health concern, or if you want to know specifics about how acupuncture can help to promote vibrant well-being, visit the website at www.everydayacupuncturepodcast.com and send an email. I'm not as from a science background. I'm not from a medical background either. Um, you know, so my book is really like how I came at it was from my personal experience and then matched with like a sociological kind of overview of how we got here. Like why one of the questions I ask is like, why is it so hard to criticize the pill? And, you know, it's after that book came out, it's like, oh, okay, you know, a lot of people ended up doing my job for me by illustrating exactly why I would need to ask that question. If you take something every day it's a, and it becomes a ritual, um, it's not just about like consciously deciding that you're going to take something every day. It becomes something else. It becomes on an individual level a dependency in a way. And on a larger social level, it becomes what we see now, which is that the use of it as like standard of care for being a woman, or as Barbara Seaman said, you know, treating the disease of being female. And that's what it comes down to. And I have to say, when I wrote the book, I didn't, I know I was aiming mainly to talk about how many, many women are put on it who are otherwise healthy, essentially. Um, they're not sick. But there are a lot of women these days who are experiencing reproductive problems, as you well know, I'm sure, and didn't go into it that much in the book. But I am very keen for people to know that there are alternatives if you have, like PCOS or endometriosis, um, just even just heavy periods or, as you say, infertility, because they don't hear that. And that then becomes the argument. Well, 
so many women have these problems, they need to be on it. Well, no, it doesn't treat them. It masks the issue. When you come off, it's sometimes a lot worse. And, you know, I really feel like, you know, that's a big part of what I want try to do now is to talk about that because I think it's not just being given to women who are healthy. It's also been given to women who are really struggling with their cycles, but it's been given in this very kind of, like negligent way almost just like well just take this and you know when you want to have a kid and you want to come off we'll see where we are and it's not it's and women deserve so much better than that and it's nothing that would ever get done to men really in that to the extent I mean we men are equally mistreated by the medical industry in different ways but not to this extent well in the thing that you bring up that it can do a good job of masking some symptoms but when you come off the pill later those symptoms are still going to be there, or they might be worse. And I can tell you from the clinical experience that I have, they often end up worse because whatever imbalance is in place causing the problem in the first place, if you just put that underground for a few years or a decade or so, mm-hmm. it has no way of, of getting better. It's no. probably going to get worse. Yeah. No, it's really upsetting. Because then you have women coming off and they assume quite, you know, not stupidly, they've been told it, why shouldn't they assume it, that they can then get pregnant within six months. And that's when they plan to have a baby. And, you know, our lives are hard enough. People are working, you know, long hours, multiple jobs. If you want to have a baby and then you decide you're going to have a baby at that time and that's when you have to do it and you can't get pregnant, but you always thought you could, that's, you know, it's horrible for people because then they come off and they have to deal with something else and they're like, oh, I didn't realize I was still going to have PCOS or I was still going to have endometriosis, um, you know, and they do. And then they have to deal with that too. It's just, it's pulling the wool over women's eyes in a way that really just, I mean, you're working with women who have infertility issues, as you said, and, you know, that's how, that industry if you're going for IVF and things, there's a lot of women who are going in for that process, expensive, difficult process, who don't actually really need to because they aren't getting the right kind of support coming off the pill. They're getting post-pill syndrome, I've heard it called, and they don't realize it. And then they think they're infertile. Talk to us about post-pill syndrome. Uh, Some of our listeners may not be familiar with that. Well, basically that's like, when you come off and you expect your periods to come back right away, you expect your cycles to return, you expect to be ovulating pretty quickly. I think the most medical advice given is it's three months at most. Now, that's not true for all women. It's true for some women. Um, You know, it can take over a year. I've had friends who've had to go into hospital and they've said, well, you know, we might have to give you progesterone injections to restart your cycles if if that's what you want to do. And often they'll say if that's what you want to do is, you know, do you want to have a baby? Otherwise, who cares whether you get a period or not, which is because they don't think having a period is useful. But, you know, it's, it's of course, it's essential in a lot of ways, as you know. And this is like it's it, people come off thinking they have PCOS when actually it's just the hangover that you get from post-pill syndrome. I had a hangover myself. My cycles were fine, but I had a withdrawal process I went through where I was – not really very physically or mentally very well. Like I was just kind of, it was like coming off something that you've been on for 10 years. You know, they t- they talk about it with antidepressants or anti-anxiety drugs. It's kind of the same here and it's not the same for everybody, but for some of us it is. It wasn't 
it wasn't as bad as it had been when I was on it, but it was still kind of tough to go through. For women who are considering coming off of the pill, either because they would like to get pregnant or they just want to be done with it, or maybe they just want to feel what it's like to kind of have access to their full self Mm. without this hormonal intervention. Have you got some recommendations on how to take yourself off the pill and things that you can do to support yourself in the process? Yeah, I do, because this is obviously the main question I get asked, um, you know, by women, um, but not in interviews, interestingly enough. It's something that, you you know, is a really important time when you come off, because it is when you are at the biggest risk of having an unplanned pregnancy. So you do need to be careful. You need to really commit to using a barrier method and additional spermicide for some time, while at the same time, learning more about your cycle just because it's going to give you so much more confidence I think all women should have have body literacy knowledge regardless of whether they want to use it as a contraceptive or not they should have it so you know for me I would recommend reading one particular book which will really help you smooth out the transition in terms of symptoms that you might have and that's called period repair manual by lara bryden dr lara bryden who's a naturopath um that's very very helpful and useful very popular book only came out a couple of months ago um and then looking at buying a book like taking charge of your fertility or garden of fertility that's katie singer wrote that the previous one and was tony veschler Mm -hmm. um and that's going to give you a really good overview And then getting into like a support group like Kindara has or, you know, there's a great one on Facebook, Fertility Awareness Method of Birth Control, which is a really good support group. Women share their charts. They share their cervical fluid pictures. They talk about what they're, you know, some of them are trying to avoid pregnancy. Some are trying to achieve pregnancy. They've gone through that period, come out the other end, now want to get pregnant. And that's really helpful too is to have that support. Um, And, you know, make it as easy for yourself as you can you know learn the basics keep using barriers um they we've just got in the u.s a new diaphragm out this week called kaya which is a one-size-fits-all diaphragm you don't need to find a doctor that can do a fitting because that's impossible and you know just get to know get to know your body and and see how it goes um obviously you know as i said most women will find that they'll go through a period of transition where their cycles might not be exactly as they expected them to be and then if you can work with someone like you (laughs) to to come off and and get like proper full support in that way well especially if if there have been issues with the period prior to going on the pill then working with someone like me or other you know sort of natural healing um, health professionals could be really really helpful no doubt about it Definitely. And you know, the other thing is, is that women need to know is I had horrible periods before I went on the pill. I came off and somewhere between probably living in a sunnier climate and eating a very different diet, my periods were fine coming off. So they shouldn't think that coming off is necessarily going to mean they're going to go back to square one. I had like six months of being at square one in a way I felt like a teenager again. Um, But after that, things evened out so so when you say being like a teenager again what was coming up for you with that 
Well, it's a bit like you put, like a, a friend of mine said, it's like you put, put the pause button when you're 17 on your developing endocrine system, reproductive system, and then you turn press the play button later on and it's like a second adolescence. So you get like your skin goes crazy, you have really greasy hair, you've got crazy moods, sleep patterns are weird. Um, you know, and as I say, not all women. I don't like to talk about it like to scare women off coming off um, because for me, you know, overall it was it's been positively life changing for me to not be on the pill anymore. But yeah, sometimes it can feel a little bit like going through your teenage years for six months again. Mm-hmm. Body need the body may need a chance to readapt itself. Mm-hmm, definitely. Yeah, and of course, everyone is individually unique. There's no way to tell who's going to come off and have it be a smooth transition and who's going to come off and, uh, oh my God, I'm a teenager again. Oh, I can't imagine going through <laughs> adolescence a second time. That sounds awful. Well, yeah, and the thing is, is most people, you know, because you don't get the support, you do that and then you don't realize that it's going gonna, it's gonna to be over. It's gonna, you're going to go through that. You'll come out the other end. And that's why has an inbuilt loyalty system because you come off it seems sometimes feels like the worst thing ever and you go back on right and here what you're talking about is using technology uh, using really community is what i'm hearing to help women with this transition uh, getting off of it and and knowing about their body so they can they can be friendly to their body and uh, and listen to it yeah, and be feel safe as well because a lot of women walk. Yeah, a lot of women walk around just feeling so like scared of their own bodies, really, and what they're capable of. Because we're sort of taught to feel like we're kind of ticking time bomb of unwanted pregnancy from when we're about fourteen. It's very different from the experience of being a man. I can tell you that. <laughs> yeah, I would imagine. I went to an all girls school, but I'm sure I can imagine. Yeah, wow, I'm just imagining what would it be like to take 14-year-old girls and really teach them this body literacy that you're talking about. That would talk about empowering someone to know what's going on for themselves. Yeah, and they've done research into this. I mean, mostly I have to say it's um, Catholic-based research because, you know, that's a lot of the money is behind this is is that that's a side of apart from this technology that i'm talking about that's the other side of it more quite slightly complex but just to say they have done research into it and um you know that does it gives women better self-esteem young women more confidence better um, a a better chance to advocate for themselves in in sexual relationships um you know because if you feel like you know your body you're going to be less fearful of getting your period you're going to be able to say to a boy like no i don't want to have a baby i'm i'm fertile i don't want to you know this is not the situation that i'm getting into and you know you can also obviously know about how important it is to use condoms effectively and to not if you you know if something happens you could even be able to know whether it was an absolute disaster or not you know um, because the other thing we have, of course, is a lot of young teenagers doing like taking plan B and things like that when they actually didn't have sex when they were fertile. And so putting them their bodies under unnecessary stress. So yeah, it could be huge. 
Holly, thank you so much for uh, being on Everyday Acupuncture. I really appreciate your point of view and the, uh, the work that you're doing that helps women. Well, not just women. I mean, certainly it helps women to, mm. to have a better sense of how their body works. But also for us guys who, generally speaking, don't even think about these issues with the women that we love, to know what they're going through and to know what some of the effects are of the pill is, how do I say it? it it's eye-opening. It's a little disturbing. It's a little frightening, um, but most assuredly empowering. So good luck with everything that you're doing with the uh, body literacy. Thank it's you. wonderful work. Thank you. Yeah, I totally agree. It's yeah. not just for women. <laughs> it's not just for women. Any last comments that, uh, that you'd like to share with our listeners in terms of uh, reproductive health or uh, things that they can, simple things to do to increase your body uh, literacy? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think, as I said, the, the idea is to see body literacy as a friend of mine actually wrote a great piece, Laura Werschler, she wrote the forward to my book. She wrote a great piece for a, a site your listeners might be interested in called hormonesmatter.com. Mm. And, you know, she calls it a life skill. You know, it's it's something that you can benefit from in so many ways. Like we said, you know, it's not about pregnancy prevention, but also learning about whether you have allergies or intolerances and in the end, it's kind of a like a, a psychological and a physical benefit because, you know, it just makes you feel better to know what's going on in your own body. And the thing is with this, with this Kickstarter project and this, what this film would be, it's not something you're going to hear about m- many other places because, you know, most people are very, very fearful of women having unplanned pregnancy, quite rightly. And, you know, talking about the uh, side effects of the pill is often seen as scaremongering. Um, you know, you, you get a lot of pushback for this kind of film. And, you know, that's why I say, and I mean it, that, you know, this is a huge opportunity. Ricky Lake making a movie about this is kind of crazy. It's like, it's amazing, really. It's that she has the courage and the insight and the intelligence to see that this is important and to get it in the way that her and Abby have got it. It's just like, fantastic really to me in, in the real sense of the word you know that they just understand that this is something that needs to be done it needs to be made and it's going to make a huge difference well it helps when you've got good material to work with and that book of yours really is good material which i'm going to give you a quick plug here also on the show notes page folks it's really worth checking out it's eye-opening and it will give you a whole perspective that you just don't hear about on the commercial news. So, mm-hmm. Holly, thanks. again, thanks for being on the show. Good luck with the Kickstarter. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Everyday Acupuncture. If so, please take a moment, click on the iTunes review button, and leave a review of the show. And be sure to tune in again next week.